Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Justin from the band Process of Fusion, and you are listening to the Band vs. Artist podcast. Today, I am here with guest host uh, Vinny Fanaro, who is a rapper and a podcaster uh, himself. How's it going, people? So, that's, that's Vinny. <laughs> and uh, we are here with special guest Speech Thomas, uh, MC from the group Arrested Development. And hopefully, or knowing, I know that speech is going to tell us some good things about music and just life in general. How's it going, speech? Say what up to the listeners. I'm doing. I'm doing good. You know what I mean. Um, today is the day that Prince um, passed away, and that obviously means a lot to me. It's been very emotional, but um, I've made some some resolutions as well because of his life and because of his artistry and um, and because of his death. So I'm doing pretty good all in all. So it's a good day. I'm, I'm appreciating the fact that I'm still breathing and still able to contribute to this, to this plane, to this world. Yeah, man. And your contributions go back quite a long way. So I guess just for, for the intro and, and maybe for our listeners, Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and, and what is your relevance in the genre of hip-hop? Well, who I am is speech. I'm lead vocalist of my group, Arrested Development. I also produce the music um, for most of our stuff, and I write the lyrics. Um, you know, we perform it throughout the world. I'm also a solo artist, so I do solo albums. Um, starting in 1996 to this day, I've done a lot of solo projects and a lot of collaborations with uh, some amazing musicians around the world. Um, this year, God willing, I'll come out with a collaboration with a group called the Yoshida Brothers out of Japan. Who nice. Both of these brothers play the, the shamisen, which is the traditional Japanese guitar, basically. And um, it's almost like a lap guitar. That's cool. And, um, they're amazing, and, and we did a collaboration together. You know, Arrested Development, my group, we just released two albums last, uh, well, two months ago in February for Black History Month. And um, excited about that. And, you know, so as far as our relevancy, I mean, you know, some of the titles that have been given to us that I'm very proud of is VH1 named us one of the top 100, you know, bands of all time. That's awesome. Um, yeah, Rolling Stone named us Band of the Year in 1993. Um, you know, we've won Grammys, we've won MTV Awards and Soul Train Awards and NAACP Awards and other things. But, you know, obviously how relevant we are, how not relevant we are, is less something that I can really say. Um, it's something that people would have to say. I know for me personally, works. You know, the band is extremely relevant in my spirit and, and what I think is beautiful music and, and worthy music. I think we're extremely relevant. Right, and that's awesome. And uh, one word that you forgot in there that people call you guys is I often hear Arrested Development and the word legendary paired together. But, you know, you were being, you were being humble. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's like... Um, to me on a day like this when, you know, people are calling Prince legendary and I thoroughly agree with it. Whether I'm legendary or 
or the group, you know, it's questionable. I feel like, you know, we're far from that, but definitely have made some type of footprint. So I'm very grateful. Prince is like the ultimate legend. Yeah, he's an enigma, the an enigma he's, of a legend. He's in a class of his own. I totally agree with that. Well, I guess since we're, I guess since we're talking about Prince so much, instead of saving it for last, let's, I guess let's talk a little bit about Prince now. I mean, you say he's he is your favorite artist or one of your favorite artists. What is it about his music that has sort of resonated with you and and touched you in a way that inspires you well i'm i'm like those who say he's one of their favorite artists he is my favorite artist so that gives you an idea of how much he's made an impact on me the second of all his music constantly um inspired and challenged me it 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 was um very conflicting listening to it some some themes disagreeing with, some themes thoroughly agreeing with, and yet the musicality, the melodies, the sensibility of uh, the pop sensibility, the musical sensibility was so compelling and so undeniable that it forced me to have to reckon with it. So it's like, it's sort of like having, um, I guess it's almost like being in an earthquake where you're looking for solid ground, but the ground beneath you is shaking to where you have to reckon with the fact that you're out of control right now. And that's what listening to Prince, Prince's music and witnessing his presentation, because it wasn't just the music. It was the music, it was his style, it was his uh, non-conforming nature. All of those things, you had to deal with it. And you could try to find solid ground while listening to it, but if you uh, tried, you just would be unsuccessful because it was always shaking up your preconceived thoughts and your sort of safe zone. So, yeah, very, very compelling. So, Speech, uh, Prince was like the ultimate artist, right? He did it all. He sang, he wrote, he produced. And from what I hear, from what you're saying, I mean, you're kind of the same. You're you're the same kind of artist. You do it all. You you write your own lyrics. You produce. I'm sure you play music. Um, now, in today's realm of, of hip-hop and especially other genres, you know, you don't have too many people that do that anymore. I mean, everyone has a ton of writers, a ton of producers. It feels like there's 100 names on one song now. Uh, do you think that these big, huge, like, I guess you can say, uh, dream teams, uh, music makers, it's taking away from the organic uh, element of music in general? Um, of course, I don't think that they personally take away from it, but I do think that the industry's insistence on relying on those same dream team producers takes away from it. So in other words, I'm not faulting the producers for being extremely talented and doing what they do. I do fault an industry that insists on giving them more and more projects and not lifting up individual artists around the world that are creating their own soundscape and their own vision for their music. Because I think that when you allow individuality to be lifted up, we have such a colorful landscape. And 
is so inspired. You know, in hip hop music, we called ourselves uh, the golden era from late '80s to early '90s. Yep. And during that era, you had everything from the soundscapes of the Bomb Squad with Public Enemy, but everyone didn't sound like that. So then you also had the soundscapes of Dr. Dre and the and the West Coast, and you had, you know. MC Hammer coming out of Oakland and two live crew coming out of Miami mixed with everything else. So, you know, you just had all of these musical soundscapes and they all were unique. They all had their own take to it. And that's what made it so absolutely exciting and vibrant. And so today I do feel that um, things are too um, narrow. Right, and like even I was watching a documentary recently uh, off the wall about Michael Jackson, and I didn't realize how much input he really had in his music. I mean, it was amazing the things that he put together in the studio. I was blown away by it. I, I mean, I had been under the impression that everything was kind of written for him, and he kind of went in. He was like Quincy Jones, right? Yeah, you know. But it was, I was blown away. I couldn't believe how much of a genius Michael really was. And, you know, oh, I totally agree with you. Michael was literally a genius, and um, you know, what what amazes me about artists like Michael or Prince is the world that they live in is so it's almost like a Forrest Gump world, um yeah. or like Eddie Murphy's movie, A Holy Man or there there's this you know, there's all of us and then there's this world that they live in. And and I say they meaning they weren't even in each other's world. I mean, they each had a world that they sort of lived in in and of themselves. And it's always inspiring whenever you meet a human being like that who just sees things in a different way. And, um, you know, I, I think I have part of that in me. But I'm amazed, again, with people like Michael Jackson or Prince, who I just think I just... Enigmas. I, I agree with that term. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. It's funny you mentioned that other, that other world that these artists inhabit. I was watching a, a YouTube video about uh, the director Kevin Smith was talking about an interaction he had with Prince, and Prince had asked him to film uh, a documentary for him, and he didn't know anything about documentary filmmaking, so he wanted to tell Prince no. And when he went to his publicist, he's like, well, I'm going to have to tell him no. And she goes, well, no, you can't do that. He goes, what do you mean you can't do that? She said, Prince doesn't understand the word no. Like, he just doesn't get it. He lives in the world of Prince. Like, exactly <laughs> what you said. <laughs> like, like, and one of the examples that she had given him was at 2 a.m. in the morning, he just decided that he would call her up and say, hey, I need a camel. She's like, what do you need a camel for? He says, don't worry about it. I just need a camel. And she says, where am I supposed to get you a camel at two in the morning? And he didn't understand, like, why this was a big deal. And she said it's because, you know, he's in the world of Prince. And it, I, I thought it, that immediately came to my mind when you said that. And I guess sometimes to be the best at what you do, you just sort of have to embody your own your own realm of of consciousness to, to sort of, uh, I guess, bring out your creative talent. So well, definitely see I, that. I totally agree with that. And I mean, you know, Jesus had that same enigma. 
and when he when he was on Earth, and <clears throat> he he literally marched to the beat of his own drum. And um, whenever you see <clears throat> other human beings that have that trait, it's uh, scary, it's exciting, and it's magnetic. Right. Yeah. And um, I guess I guess to to uh, to address some of the other stuff we said before, as far as this is something like I just just came to my mind, uh, talking about working with all these producers and and how the how the great ones sort of take over music themselves. I often find in music, even listening to the radio, that beats and and music, especially in pop music, they all sound eerily similar and if you actually look up the credits of the music it's like the same as as Vinny said dream team of writers on every single song basically just churning out random or newer variations of songs that already existed with different voices uh, doing the song so it's definitely um, I guess it's definitely a, a far cry from what a major artist such as Michael Jackson Prince or even I guess rappers in the early '90s, as they were as they were coming up, and really experimenting with the genre, it's just a totally different ball field out there. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And and see, the thing is, is that music can stir so many emotions, and the human experience is so thick. It's so amazing. It's so spectacular that music can tap in to all of the emotions that we as humans can feel. And so when we start churning out song after song with the same basic emotion, the same basic energy, then we're denying much of the human experience and we're taking it out of the realm of popular music. And that to me is sad because music can stir so many emotions and so there's there's a lot of room to experiment to express and to get out there and the world is better for it when we do that i think that we're a more full and holistic human race when the music is more full and more holistic and more encompassing of all the emotions and all the colors and the textures that are out there in this world, it is, it is a better world when that happens. A speech. In hip-hop, I mean, hip-hop is kind of its own animal, right? It's, it's like a culture. It's more than a genre of music. Would you agree with that? I do, yeah. And uh, do, you, do you think that, I mean, I don't know about how it was when, you know, in, the, in the early 90s. Uh, I think I have an idea. But today you have a lot of rappers getting quote unquote help from from writers and other rappers and, and things of that nature. Uh, do you think that that takes away from the actual art form of rapping? And uh, yeah, I mean that's that's basically what I, what I was trying to say. What what do, what do you think about that? Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I see it both ways. I, I see it just depends what kind of artist you're wanting to be. You know. For instance, Michael Jackson was one of the greatest artists to ever live, but many of his songs were written by other people. However, if anyone else would have sang that song, it would not have been as dynamic 
and as amazing as Michael saying it. Right. Not mm-hmm. to mention just singing it, Michael was able to be the perfect vessel for a song. So in other words, Thriller was written by Rod Temperton, who was a part of the amazing group Heatwave. But if Rod Temperton or Heatwave would have done the song Thriller, they would have never done the recording as well as Michael. We never would have seen the video, which without that video, the world would not have felt the power of that song the way Michael was able to make us feel it. And I think of artists like Beyonce, and I say the same thing. You know, there's some artists that, thank God, someone's writing for them because their gift may not always be in the writing. It may be in the vessel and being the perfect vessel to make this song live out its full potential. And so I do understand that even in hip-hop, that that can happen sometimes. I think Drake is a great example of that. I think um, there's others that are probably good examples of that. Now, on the other hand, there's artists like Prince, where the reason it's so compelling, um, or one of the reasons his, his music and his output has been so compelling is because he wrote it all, he produced it, he sang it. And there's another aesthetic that comes with that type of artistry. And there's two different types of artistry, but both share the platform in being able to inspire people in different ways. And so I I understand when it happens. There's some artists that I think it, it, it works really well for, and there's other artists that I personally think they should not do that a lot because it takes away from their authenticity. Is this something that you saw a lot uh, in the 90s, or is this something that's more like modern in hip-hop? In hip-hop, it's very much a modern phenomenon because, you know, in the early 80s to all the way to the 90s, uh, early 90s, it was not very corporate-driven. Hip-hop was still proving itself. It was still forming. And so... By all means, there was no writing teams that were willing to even invest in the music at that point, to a large extent. I mean, of course, you have Rick Rubin, and you have him helping out Run DMC with sort of their rock element and helping them to expand their catalog to reach various markets. But outside of those types of collaborations that happened here and there, it was very much an organic, um, creative process that was you know, usually the very people that you saw on the cover of the record were the people that were very much creating the, the soundscape. Right. And I, I think it, it speaks a lot to that. There also um, wasn't super groups of rappers or, or huge rappers really to, to co-sign some of these up-and-coming guys like it happens now. Like just going from Birdman, who brings on Lil Wayne, from Lil Wayne, who brings on Drake, and, you know, and and people just kind of go on the line like that. In the '80s, you just you just had to do it yourself, and and hope it worked. There wasn't anyone really there to be your big brother yet when when these groups were still developing, and and even the the genres and the styles between you know what you guys did in conscious rap, what the West Coast doing was in gangster rap, you know more of the the party rap like like uh, a beastie boys and, and the rock element so everyone was still trying to figure out what they were good at um, not 
trying to develop other artists and, you know, adding more competition for themselves, I think. Well, in general, you know, there's yeah. always exceptions to that fact. I mean, there was, um, gosh, I forget his name right now, the producer for Salt and Pepper would then go, uh, Herbie Lovebug, he would then go ahead and produce Kid and Play, who would then bring on Chub Rock and, and um, uh, Full Force would do the same with UTFO and they would bring on, you know, Lisa Lisa and the Cult Jam and all of these various different groups and, and they were all produced by sort of, you know, like Herbie Lovebug was the super producer and the same difference with Barley Maul with, you know, MC Shan and, and LL Cool J and Big Daddy Kane. So there was that type of element that was happening in the late 80s and, and the early 90s, but there was also that other side and, you know, where Tribe Called Quest was producing much of their own material Bay La Soul was producing much of their own material with Prince Paul, and Jungle Brothers was producing a lot of their own material, but yet they were friends and they would help one another, but they still had their own particular sound. So there's, there's a lot of stuff going on uh, across the board, but now, unfortunately, in my opinion, most of the music is more of an assembly line, and not only just from you know, you, you got your all-star producers doing the music, but in hip-hop, for instance, it's, and, and maybe other genres, too, there's a assembly line of what needs to be in your album. you got to have a dance cut. you got to have this cut. you got to have that cut. And so there's a lot less originality in even the album concept. They're really looking at it from a more corporate, analytic standpoint as opposed to a strictly artist output standpoint. And I, don't, I don't think that assembly line mentality even works half the time. I mean, you see these rappers that come out on an album and they're like, this is my radio cut and it doesn't work. Like, people don't like it. And then you see people like, I think an example of someone who did it really right was J. Cole, his last project. He kind of just made what he wanted to make and now he's got records working on the radio. He's got a great album. I just thought he did an amazing job with that project. Yeah, I agree. Another artist would be Kendrick Lamar, who's done a really good Kendrick job. Kendrick, too, yeah. And, uh, doing, doing some compelling music, but not necessarily fitting the formats of all the different things. Right, and I know one thing that, that we spoke about uh, when, I, when I interviewed you, I think last month or so, um, was we kind of talked about that shift of the conscious rap into the gangster rap that eventually drowned out the conscious rap and now that conscious rap is coming back um why do you think that people are more i guess willing and open to hear more of a message in their music rather than i guess what's been the norm or the mainstream of hip-hop or even i guess in some ways some of that conscious rap is becoming the mainstream of hip-hop why do you think the shift is happening I'm not convinced that it's happening. I do think that there has been some um, some exception to what I think is primarily party, um, pretty simplistic, you know, subject matter type music. So in other words, I think the exceptions are J. Cole uh, to some extent and Kendrick Lamar to another extent. Um, but maybe I'd have to be convinced that there's a lot of it. I'm not hearing a lot of it in pop culture, but I do hear 
you know, some exceptions. Um, so, yeah, that's what I think. But maybe I just have to be convinced. Maybe I'm not thinking about all of the artists I think that are actually out there doing really well. I think some of the bigger artists, like a Cole or a Kendrick, I mean, they're selling a lot of records, you know, whereas some of these other guys are really selling a lot of singles. They're not selling albums. Uh, right. So that might be that might be something to to pay attention to, uh, that they can both go platinum, and you know, in 2016, and these guys who have these huge records on radio, are you know maybe they could sell a million singles, but nobody really cares about the album. Right. And so yeah, I think that um, you know, the music industry has been very, in my opinion, uh, unwilling to open the doors of conscious artists to really get into the mainstream blood bloodline unless they're just um those those few exceptions. That's my that's my experience so far. Word from our sponsors. Okay, so save it Microsoft Word. No, no, no gosh darn my computer won't work. <laughs> Well, take it to Computer Sam NYC. This guy can fix anything. He'll fix a broken laptop, a broken computer, a broken cell phone, broken tablet. This guy even fixes beepers. Who knows they make beepers anymore? I did it. Just listen to all these satisfied customers. My computer was broken, and all of a sudden, whoa, it's great again. Mommy said the computer was broken, and then we called, what's his name? Sam, yeah, we called Sam, and, and now it's great again. Hi, this is Nicholas Cage. I was, uh, I, I wanted to tell everybody how great compu- Computer Sam really is. My computer wasn't working, and, uh, and now it is, so that's great. So remember, check computersam.nyc for your computer needs. <laughs> See ya! I'm, I'm sort of interested in in talking about the hustle of of an artist in 2016 as compared to when you guys first started out. I mean, you, you know, you always have to hustle, but I'm sure that hustle is totally different now. Um, can you maybe break down some of the differences on, on you know, I guess how you promote and, and get your music out and, and just create as opposed to how you would have done it, like, 25 years ago or 20 years ago? Well, I mean, it's 100% different. Um, the means of getting music out is via the internet, where before it was primarily via vinyl. I mean, you right. put a vinyl record out and you tried to sell it to your friends and, and get it out there. Um, and you had to have a label that you really wanted to reach the world. I mean, that, it's as simple as that. There was no way to do it. Otherwise, yeah. So um, now, you know, you obviously can put it out on the internet, and the biggest obstacle you have to overcome is marketing, finding your tribe, finding the people that are supportive and, and excited about what you do, and reaching those people. The other difference is it's a lot more do it yourself. I mean, yeah. you know, I do pretty much everything for Arrested Development. When it comes to marketing, I you know I deal with Instagram, I deal with Twitter, I deal with Facebook, I deal with a website, I put up stories, 
I link things to other things. I tell people about it. You know, I, I have a publicist as well, but I mean, I lead the way in that effort. So it's a lot of do-it-yourself, a lot of really hands-on. And that's very different from the 90s. In the 90s, there was the machinery. Mm-hmm. And your goal was to try to get someone to back you and, and to sign you so that you can jump into that machinery. And don't get me wrong, in the 90s, I had to have all the meetings and marketing meetings about how do we market Arrested Development. I had to think about those things, and I had to share that with EMI, who was a monster corporate entity in the music industry, but they didn't know how to do hip-hop because it was relatively new, and we were one of their first, well, actually, we were their first hip-hop signing. I mean, it was us, Gangstar, and a little after us was D'Angelo, which, of course, was not hip-hop per se, but but Neo Soul. So, yeah, very very much uh, a do-it-yourself time period. Yeah, now now you even have crowdfunding where you basically put put the answers into your audience's hands and you say, hey, I need a new record. Um, let's try to raise money. And, you know, a lot of those artists have been very successful and people have reached 200% of their goal and they're able to do exactly. even more things. And I guess it just, it just creates... I think overall it helps create a better product because the fans are are actually getting exactly what they want from the artist in a way, and it's it's giving the artist the means to um, really reach the the ears and and the eyes that they're that they're trying to get their audience to. I think it's it's just it's really cool, honestly. And it, and also what it does is it it allows the fan to be invested in the music before they even hear it. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. I mean, they're invested in the progress and the process. And that's, that's amazing. You know, that doesn't work for every artist though. I mean, in all fairness, there is a um, special lot of artists that take that phenomenon. They're able to really um, sort of feel at home using that technique of, crowdfunding and making records that, that keep their audience excited. There's so many other artists that fail at that miserably. And so I don't think that it's the um, end all as far as trying to make it, but I definitely think it's one of the options. And if, if it fits you right, it's like uh, Marley said, if the cat fits to let you, you know, let them wear it. If that cat fits you, I think that that's a perfect um, route to take. It's not the only route that people should take. So, speech. Uh, I just want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, I know I understand you're a pastor. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, I host another podcast. I'm actually a co-host. It's called the Faithfully Podcast, and we deal with race and faith. Those are, those are two of the main topics that we talk about. And uh, one of the okay. things that one of the things that we talk about is how uh, Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America. Uh, right? You know, you have the whites in one church, blacks in another church, Asians in another church, Spanish people and Hispanics in another church. Uh, you know, what do you think about that uh, as far as the church in America and uh, the way the way things are divided? I think it's, um, it's, it should be one of the biggest concerns of the church. And I think that the only way to truly 
defeat that that division is for churches to dig deeper and deeper into the gospel and shed more and more of the American filter of the gospel. So in other words, there's the gospel that's in the Bible, and then there's how America uh, interprets that gospel to fit American culture and to make it work within our context. And and I know that um, it's a very tough thing to do to shed those things, but I think the more we shed them, the more we can get to the um, multicultural, um, multi-class church that is described and is lived out in front of our eyes in the scriptures, in the New Testament scriptures. Right. Makes sense. And I know when, when we spoke last time, you you also said that you you often feel that church churches are, are sort of afraid to tackle these tough subjects of of race and and you know just things that may be deemed too controversial that they kind of want to sweep it under the rug um how do you think that i guess with with everything that's going on in the news and you have the elections going on and there's just so many people divided and all over the place what is what is something that everyone could find some sort of common ground on to to sort of open up the conversation about the real issues and how can we come from different sides and and try to find the solution sure i think that the key to that really is looking at the life of jesus and focusing on jesus because it's one thing to just say his name a lot and to talk about the gospels a lot. It's another thing to really look at what he did. I mean, Jesus really shed himself of all earthly concepts and including riches, including fame, including notoriety, um, including even a huge following. He shed himself of all of those earthly trappings and made himself nothing so that he can do the the will of God. And that's a very radical concept. I mean, our churches are very uh, preoccupied with finding ways to fit into the community, finding ways to not turn off the community, finding ways to be cool to the community, finding ways to um, embrace or hopefully have the community embrace the church, finding ways to not feel weird to the community. And I get all of those attempts. I think that they're noble in that we're trying, you know, and at the same time, I think the true solution is shedding all of those things. When you look at the first century church, it's uncomfortable for me to look at the reality of that church. They didn't believe, um, from what I can read at least, they didn't believe in being in the military. They did not believe in being police officers. They did not believe in politics in any form or fashion. They did not believe in acting or actors um, in the arts in that regard. 
and it's very uncomfortable. I'm an artist. I love acting. I love, I love to ride the fence about things that I listen to. I mean, it was a very um, truly separate from the world type of experience that you read about when you look at first century Christian literature and in apologetics, when, when, when some of the leaders of the first century churches talked about the issues that affected them in, the, in their time, which are very similar, by the way, to the issues that affect us now, their response to it was, was total separation. And I'm not suggesting this is an easy solution. I just think that this is the true solution that will truly separate believers from non-believers and help non-believers to see what it looks like to follow Jesus. And it truly is a, a, a true contrast. And at that point, I think you can let go of conversations of race to, to a large extent. Um, you can let go of conversations of presidents and so on and so forth, or, who, or I should say campaigns. Because at that point, you're shedding all of the things that the world gets caught up in, and you're truly focused on the church itself being a living, breathing entity that lives among itself, and people join it, but it never joins the people. And it's a very different concept. And so it's tough. I must say I'm a very uh, Americanized person, and the church is very un-American. And I'm, I don't mean that in the negative sense, like anti-American. I just mean the church, I don't even know if the first century church would recognize uh, the church in this century. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure of that. You mentioned something before, and it, it kind of intrigued me. You, you said that the church has an American filter. What is that exactly to you? I think that we, it's, it's similar to what I was just talking about, where we are trying to find a way to make it fit our lifestyle, to make it fit our comfort zone. You know, we want to, we want to dress, uh, we want, like our wives want to look sexy and pretty. And so they will decide to make the gospel fit that reality. Us men, we want to sort of walk the line of, of being in the world and not of the world. And so we'll make the church fit that reality. You know, the divisions that go on throughout all of the various denominations and churches, we want to make that fit, even though the Bible says to not have those divisions and to agree with one another. Um, we want to make it fit our reality. And so I think that that's what I mean by this filter. It's just a, it's, we, we love the, the comforts of America and we want our Christianity to fit those comforts. It's funny. There was a, a preacher that came from Africa to preach to our church uh, a long time ago, and probably about 10 years or more or so. And he said, coming straight from Africa, he's not American, he said, I'm very saddened for you all. And he said that I don't know how you can keep your faith. He wasn't judging us. Judging us. He said, you know, I'm not suggesting you're not Christian. He said, but I wouldn't be able to make it in this culture because similar to how Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to sit through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Now, we can filter that scripture away and make it seem maybe we're talking about Bill Gates or what have you, but the truth of the matter is every one of us, even the poorest of us in America, are among 
the one percent of the richest on the planet. Yeah. So true. we all, as Americans, have this filter that we're really going to have to take another look at to determine if number one, if we're even saved. I hate to say that because I think that grace is big enough to cover our misunderstandings or our, our shortcomings. And yet at the same time, if not that, then to definitely reconsider if we're pulling everyone to Jesus the way that Jesus did in the first century. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's really good. Um, yeah, I mean, let's shift. The, uh, I just want to shift right back to hip hop real quick. Uh, you know, Arrested Development, you guys come from the era of like Tribe Cold Quest and De La Soul, you know, early 90s. Uh, it seemed like at that point in time, there was a little bit of a conscious boom. Um, you know, who are some of the groups that you toured with? And uh, do you have any like funny stories that you could tell us? <laughs> um, I toured a lot of groups. I mean, well, less touring, but did shows with a lot of groups. De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, Queen Latifah, um, uh, you know, Disposable Disposable Heroes of Hypocrisy, which is uh, Michael Franti's former group before he went solo with Spearhead and, and with Spearhead. And, um, gosh, I mean, a lot of amazing, oh, Gangstar, we toured with Gangstar. Um, a lot of incredible memories with all of these bands. Uh, one that was humbling for me is we did uh, the Hot 97 Jam, Summer Jam, back in 93, I think it was, maybe 94. And yeah, that's big out here in New York. I'm sorry, what you say? I said that's huge out here in New York. Yeah, exactly. And it was um, somewhere in Jersey in one of the big uh, arenas there. And it was incredible. And we were one of the headlining bands, but Wu-Tang was becoming very huge at that time. And the tide was changing from sort of this Bill Cosby different world, arrested development, Malcolm X, Spike Lee type of thing to a more gritty, um, you know, Shaolin, you know, Wu-Tang, Biggie, you know, hustlers, the cats on the block, the drug dealers, wanting their stories to be told, wanting that side of urban and black life to be lifted up. And we were in the crosshairs of that. And so we we get on stage right before us was Tribe, Busta, Gangstar, Dayla, some of our most celebrated hip hop heroes. And um, we get on stage and the entire, I'd say probably 80% of the arena Booze. Now we haven't played a note, so it's not as if our show was was less than good. It just was like boo, boo, boo. And I realized that, you know, number one, I, I was laughing literally on stage during this talk because I realized, well, first of all, we had been booed before numerous times um, throughout our career, and second of all, I realized that okay, the tide has changed right right from under us and people no longer want to hear positive hip-hop. They want to hear something else. They want to hear 
whatever. And so it was it was one of those hang your head low and shame type of moments. It wasn't funny. <laughs> I know you asked for a funny one, I'm sorry. But it's still a good one. We got backstage and after being booed by that huge crowd, it was really tough to be in front of our idols because we realized that wow, you know, we 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 usually tear it down and tear the place up, you know, and yet this particular night, you know, our idols got to see this and I was like, Oh Lord, you know. So, so I hang head hanging low situation like that. <laughs> Did you guys still perform or you just kinda left the stage? No, we actually did. We performed. Um, that was our thing. You know, I, I believe in doing what I'm obligated to do. It, it, you know, if we're supposed to do a 45-minute set, we're going to do all 45 minutes, even if we're not getting good love. It's just something that I believe in. So um, that's exactly what we did. And we finished that set and left. But it was a very tough night. <laughs> that was yeah. a heck of a lineup. Amazing lineup. And in fact, before we got on, I spent my time in the audience just having a ball listening to a lot of my favorite groups. Yeah, I, I would have forgot that I was even performing if you had all, all those artists. I you know. know it's right? your time to go. Oh, no, I'm, I'm having a good time. <laughs> we, exactly. And we'll, we'll apologize on behalf of Wu-Tang because we're in Staten Island right now. So... And there you go. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've actually yeah, been in the studio like, with some of those guys. Shaolin. Shaolin. That's what we're representing right now. Yep. <laughs> well, I will say, you know, in all fairness, it wasn't their fault. You know, it just was the tide change. Tide change. I'm sure some of them are fans of yours and vice versa. I'm sorry, what'd you say? I said, I'm sure some Wu-Tang members are fans of yours and then vice versa. Oh, well, I, I definitely am a fan of what of so much of what they do and have done. And, um, yeah, I'm sure that they're fans of us to some extent or another. They, they have, they have to be, it's, I mean, it's essential. Like, like <laughs> people don't know, but like Biggie was like a huge Tribe Called Quest fan. You said, am I a huge No, no, no. I mean like people, well, people get the impression that sometimes gangster rappers don't like, uh, positive rap or conscious rap. But then you see stories about Biggie loving Tribe Called Quest and Jay-Z always, uh, he, he sings some of their oh, rhymes yeah. in his songs. I mean, oh, if, okay. you, yeah, if you yeah. appreciate good hip-hop, you can it doesn't matter well, what, what type of artist the artist is. Yeah, well, you know, Tribe has truly transcended, um, you know, pretty much any category because they've, they've, they've become the quintessential backpack hip-hop group of all time. Right. Yeah. And we recently lost Fife too. That was another big loss to music. Very big loss. Yeah, it's 2016 is the year, man. It's just one after another. It's crazy. But um I guess I guess on a on a final note uh speech, why should everybody participate and this is this is going to sound like it's left field compared to everything we're talking about. <laughs> but uh why should everybody go out and participate in these upcoming elections? Why, why do you feel like um, it's important for people to be informed and involved? And I guess this will sort of be our, our, closing, our closing thoughts. Sure. I think, it's, I think it's extremely important to vote. And for many of us, women, black people, we weren't allowed to vote for centuries 
um, in this country. So that's one reason alone that you need to be a part of the process. But the second reason is that Martin Luther King said it best, if you are not for the solution, then you are for the problem, whether you intend to be or not. If you're not helping, if you're not getting involved, then you are choosing a side, and you're just simply choosing the side of the oppressor or the people that are doing wrong in your eyes. So you've got to get involved. And I hear people say all the time, well, I don't like any of the candidates. Well, that's fine. But choose one that you feel is the best that represents the most of the issues that you particularly are concerned about and vote. Because when you simply don't vote, that inaction is an action. And so silence is extremely loud. So people need to speak up and vote and, and make sure you utilize that process. All right. And we, uh, we covered and talked about a lot. So any, anything else you'd want to add to this conversation or, or plug or, or talk about? No, I mean, of course, um, you know, definitely want to plug both albums. And um, we're very excited about this music. It's beautiful music. It's special. And um, changing the narrative. And this was never home. We're both available on avtheband.com. All right. And that was Speech of Arrested Development on the Band vs. Artist podcast. Uh, speech. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, you drop knowledge as always, and that's that's what I was man, really I, that's what I was anticipating. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it, man. I listen. I appreciate it. The first time we got you know the interview, it was great. You guys always do a quality job, man. So I appreciate it. It's all my pleasure. And uh, when when's the when's the next time you're you're uh, heading to New York? Well, actually, we got some plans to come there soon. So on the website is our tour dates. I'm, I'm horrible at tour dates. Like, I never know when we're leaving. And my wife just tells me, like, a day before we leave, hey, we got shows. <laughs> and I simply do whatever she tells me. And, and I really, I never know our tour dates, unfortunately. It's pretty rare, I should say. Not never, but it's rare. So, yeah, on our website, com, there's the whole plethora of, either shows right now if we haven't put them all the shows up we're going to be putting more and more up because we're actually getting a lot more gigs and uh we're about to get busy in uh may and june july and all throughout the rest of the year awesome man so then uh, maybe we can have one of these cool conversations in person i will look up the tour dates and then <laughs> and i'll and i'll tell you i was like listen you're going to be in new york this yeah, day i'm going to come find you and, <laughs> and i would like to hook up so yeah next Next time I'm in that area, let's definitely hook up. Real, I, I'm into that. I really like, you know, building especially legitimate and cool friendships. It's all good. All right, cool, man. Pre hey. Appreciate it. And you're more than welcome to uh, be on our podcast, the Faithfully Podcast. Oh well, I, I'm, yeah, I'm very, very happy to be there. So we, anytime, we'd anytime love to you have want you be a part of it. Just let me know. All right, I will. Down. All right, okay, brother. All right, speech. Have a good night, man. Y'all too. All right, peace. All right, so that was uh, Speech Thomas of Arrested Development. This guy always drops knowledge bombs every time I talk to him. Yeah, he was dropping gems on you, man. 
Yeah. <laughs> he was dropping bombs on him. He was dropping gems. But, uh, yeah, and special shout out to Vinny, who goes by the, the rap name Vinny Jet, um, for joining me on this kind of, I guess not really spur of the moment. I gave you, I gave you a little bit of a heads up. But uh, Patrick and Dylan, obviously not here today. Um, they, you know, they, they can't have a good classic hip hop conversation there. They're uh, they're rock people. They so. needed a rapper's touch on this one. Yeah, I, I needed I needed a little <laughs> bit of the jet. I I'll be glad to come back anytime when you're interviewing rappers. Yeah, um, or R and B singers, or it, it's funny. I'll Whatever you want, pretty much. I, I'll tell the story for for Dylan. Uh, Dylan's dad is is an OG, and if you go in his his car or his truck, he actually has cassette tapes of of NWA and Public Enemy. Wow. That he listens to on cassette. Wow. And Dylan listens to him too. All right, this is uh, going to make me sound old. I have cassette tapes too. Yeah, we all got Not of NWA, but like. We, we got cassette tapes places. And, and Patrick's, a, Patrick's a big fan of, of hip hop. But yeah, I, I needed, I needed a, a, a good touch on this one. But. Uh, you need like the hip hop freak nerd that I am. Yeah, yeah. On this one, yeah. And me, me and Vinny have, a, have an interesting relationship. We, we spent about four years together in a place that I won't name. Do we have to talk about that? <laughs> Um, I wasn't so bad. It, it was a job that that taught us to cut our teeth in the field of journalism, and now, you know, now we don't work there anymore uh, for various reasons. But <laughs> now we get to do really cool things on, in our free time. It's actually one reason, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's one reason. We were laid off, but uh, but uh, now we have all this cool closed, time. Now we have all this free time to uh, to uh, make podcasts for no money, but have cool conversations with people uh, like like speech and, and people that, that we respect. But, um, uh, yeah, Vinny and I are writers. Vinny and I are musicians. Uh, we had a little label thing going on for a little bit, but, um, for a hot second. Yeah. For, it was, it was a year. Uh, so I'm actually going to hand it over to Vinny and put him on the spot. Vinny, talk about some of your music and, and what you have going on. Uh, I'm giving you I'm giving you this platform at the end of the band versus artist podcast. This is amazing. Thank you so much. No, I mean, seriously. There are hundreds and thousands of people I, listening to no, this. No, I appreciate right. it. Even if there's like five, it doesn't matter. Um, so my name is Vinny Jet. Uh, that's my that's my rap name. Not even really my rap name. That's actually my nickname. Like people call me Jet growing up and uh, it just became my MC name basically. Uh, I've been a rapper for about 10 years and uh, kind of make like positive hip hop, uh, you know, I just like to rap, write songs, make hooks, and I like good beats, and it's not really anything specific. Uh, I just love, I love hip-hop. And uh, I'm also a journalist, and uh, have, I am part of a really cool podcast. It's called The Faithfully Podcast. Myself, Keisha Boston, and Nicola Menzi. Uh, it's attached to faithfullymagazine.com, and we talk about faith, race, uh, and culture, and where it all meets. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's out there somewhere. It's, it's on the Twitterverse. So uh, check us out at Faithfully Podcast. Um, yeah, so I mean that's it. I'm uh, I have two albums out there in the in the uh, universe. Um, one is probably people actually have the physical copies of it. It's not online. The other one's online at Bandcamp VinnyJet.BandCamp.com, and uh, I I have a SoundCloud account uh, VinnyJet. I have a couple of songs on there. I'm probably gonna put out a new record soon, and um, working on a lot of stuff. So. Uh, I hope I uh, hope it all gets out soon. Yeah, and I'll keep you posted, or, or if we have him back, we'll uh, 
maybe we can premiere a song on the podcast. Well, I guess we'll we'll figure that That'd out later. Cool. But um, yeah. Again, special thanks to and Speech vice versa. Thomas. Sure, I'll take it. Uh, spe- special shout out to Arrested Development, uh, Speech Thomas. Thanks again, Vinny, for joining us. Patrick and Dylan, you guys are losers, but you know I love you. You're still my boys. Uh, <laughs> uh, shout out to Computer Sam who helps us out with this Computer podcast. Sam. Computer Sam, Vin- uh, he's helped out Vinny too. And uh, special thanks as always to the Kings of A and R website for hosting our podcast and giving us support on their Facebook page and on their site. Uh, Kings of A&R is a place for tastemakers and people who are interested in music to go check out the up-and-coming next people in in music. And just to just learn general information about being an artist, uh, Dean Kramer is the guy who runs that, and he works with a lot of very talented people, That and I've gotten to do uh, social media for him. So uh, thanks, Dean and Kings of A&R, Computer Sam. Thank you all for listening. We're going to be adding the podcast to SoundCloud in addition to Bandcamp and YouTube and uh, various other places that you hear this. If you are interested in sponsoring, endorsing, or you know, just hitting us up with, with questions about the podcast and how you can get involved, you could tweet us at POF underscore band. Send us a message, tweet us, do whatever. Find us on Facebook. You can hit us up, uh, and we'll talk. We'll we'll make it happen. So, uh, again, this is Justin. I'm in the band Process of Fusion. My bandmates are not here, but I'm here with Vinny Jet, the rapper. Flat leaders. And, uh, again, thank <laughs> you for listening to the Bandverse Artist Podcast. I will see you all next week. Peace.